0: Welcome to Tripod, Improve Photography's Nature Photography Show. This show is for the weekend photo warriors, the wave of flashlight around in the black of nighters, and the F-16 users. This is Tripod. Welcome back to this episode. Today, it's just me. There's nobody else on the line with me, and I want to share with you some night photography information that I shared at the Create Photography Retreat a couple weeks ago. But before we get into the content of this episode, I want to take a second and thank our sponsor, which is WeTransfer. So I've actually been using WeTransfer for a long time, and I kind of feel like it's a hidden secret uh, because I, every time I have like a huge file that I need to send somebody and I think, oh, okay, this isn't going to fit on an email. How am I going to get this to somebody? I just go to WeTransfer. WeTransfer allows you to go on the website, you upload your file, and poof, it sends right to the person. You don't have to create a login, there's no password to forget, you just upload and send it to whoever you want to. I've really enjoyed using WeTransfer for a lot of years. So in that spirit, we're skipping the rest of this 60-second ad and getting right back into the podcast. WeTransfer.com. You make, WeTransfer. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Tripod. Uh, Like I mentioned in the intro, it's just me today because I want to share one of my presentations from the Create Photography Retreat. Now, I want to mention right from the get-go that this is a basics course. Uh, I wanted to kind of give the basics of night photography, and I wasn't really sure what would happen uh, if I did that at the the retreat. I wasn't sure kind of what skill levels we'd have because I had some courses that were pretty advanced, um, and this one that was an absolute basics of night photography. So I was curious to see um, who would be there, but it would, the room was full. Um, and and so it kind of highlighted for me there are a lot of photographers who you know know how to even shoot in manual mode and, and are very capable photographers, but are new to night photography. And so for them, for you, um, that's what this episode is about, or maybe just a refresher for those of you who are more advanced. Um, So let's jump into uh, into the topic. So the first thing I want to share is that some of the things I'm going to say on the podcast today won't align with what you would typically hear um, a night photographer teach. For example, I'm going to explain why I never use the 500 rule, um, and a lot of photographers do. Um, why I never use noise reduction on my night photos, and a vastly different approach to light painting than what most people do. Um, I kind of want to highlight those things right from the get go, just just because I I want to make sure everybody realizes that like this is the way that I do it. It's just what has uh, what has worked for me the best. But there are obviously a lot of very successful night photographers who do things differently. And so if you hear anything in today's uh, episode that that matches that description, that's why. I just want to share what has actually worked for me, and then everybody can make their own process of what works best. The first rule of night photography for me um, as I've taught photography for a lot of years, uh, night photography has always been my favorite thing to teach. Especially for a beginner and intermediate photographer, you can learn manual mode so quickly at night because everything is slowed down. You can like actually hear the shutter speed Uh, and usually it's just one little click Uh, but now it's it's so delayed you're taking such a long exposure that you can hear it you can see instantly the effect uh, the effect of the aperture more so than in the day because we are always shooting wide open uh, when we shoot night photography and the iso we can understand quickly because we can see the grain in the photo it's a great way to learn but the first rule is You will compromise. Like It sounds like the mafia is showing up and saying, yes, but you will compromise. I don't know what accent that was, by the way. Um, But the reason I say this right at the beginning is I feel like some people, including myself, when you're learning night photography... That is the thing that is more frustrating than anything else is you just you're trying to minimize the compromises all the time during the day. You want to make sure there's no blur at all um, in the soccer player running down the field. And so you go from eight one eight hundredth of a second to one one thousandth. You just you're eking out every little bit of of uh, of of sharpness for motion blur. You know you're keeping your ISO as low as possible and at night you will compromise on those things. You will have to choose a very long shutter speed and sometimes the wind is going to blow that tree just a little bit and it's not going to be perfect. And you often will have to increase your ISO so that there actually is a fair amount of noise in the photo and you just have to compromise. Of course we're going to try to minimize those as much as possible. But if you come in with the mindset of creating the perfect image quality, night photography is actually going to be a pretty frustrating experience. Um, Mostly night photography is about just minimizing it as much as possible. But the, the compromise on quality will happen. All right, so that's the first rule of night photography. You will compromise. And I showed a photo that I took in Iceland at Kirkufell. I just, I love that spot. It's one of my favorite places, maybe my favorite place on the planet. Um, Anyway, it has ice in the foreground and a little waterfall. I mean, very close, you know, within inches of the frame, there's some ice in the foreground. And then there's a triangle-shaped mountain in the background and then the northern lights in the sky. And so the question is... What kind of camera settings would you have to use for this? Uh, Because we know that in the daytime, we'd want to shoot at, you know, F16 uh, for something like this to get alonged up the field to shoot the northern lights in the background and the ice in the foreground. And the answer is probably F2.8 that we're going to shoot this shot at. Because if we don't shoot at F2.8, it's going to be really hard to capture the northern lights bright enough. And so it's a compromise. You just have to shoot at a lower aperture and we're gonna find the best place to maximize our focus and we may have to focus stack, which we'll talk about a little bit. So when in doubt, when you just get to, to a place and you're like, okay, I just want to take a night photo, this obviously depends so much on, on the exact situation you're in. But if you're brand new to night photography, just remember these three settings f2.8, 20 seconds, ISO 2000. That's f2.8, 20 seconds, ISO 2000. That would be, you know, if somebody just said, what settings do I need for night photography, Jim, as they were walking down the hall, I'd probably say that. Um, It's just a good starting place. And it helps you to recognize by having that starting place that the compromise that you are going to have to compromise by a low F stop, and that's completely normal. And you are going to have to compromise with a high or long shutter speed and a high ISO and so that's completely normal. And I just wanted to share that kind of right from the gate just so that people uh, recognize that and have a good expectation going into it. Okay, so let's dive into each of those players in the exposure triangle and, uh, talk about how they all work a little bit differently at night. First of all is the aperture. Now we know the, the compromise of the aperture is depth of field. Uh, as we go to a shallower um, or a lower f-stop, a larger aperture, then we get shallow depth of field, meaning the background is blurry and the foreground is blurry and wherever we focus is in focus. But the um, so in night photography, that's going to be a huge problem because often, usually even night photos are shooting a landscape. And so when, when we do that, we're going to have some of the landscape that's not in perfect focus. Well, the good news is usually when we're shooting a landscape, we're also shooting with a wide angle lens and a wide angle lens has a, a infinity focus that's really not that far away. So infinity focus means the point at which if you focus, it's the closest point at which you can focus and also have in focus the anything in the furthest distance. So this is the furthest out that your lens can focus. Um, the furthest, it's, it's where your lens can't twist anymore to focus on anything further. Um, and that is your infinity focus. It means it's focused all the way out. I, I blended that when I started saying that with hyperfocal distance, which, which is the closest point. But the infinity focus is just, you guys have a terrible teacher, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the infinity focus is just the furthest point that you can focus out. The hyperfocal distance is the closest point at which you can have a reasonably sharp background, and uh, and at that focus point. Anyway, the the point is that we're going to maximize our focus um, by focusing in a good spot in the frame. But. Also just to recognize when we're shooting at f2.8 and we have something very close to the to the in the foreground you're just going to have to focus stack. So you put your camera on the tripod, you lock it down with your composition and your camera doesn't move during the whole process and then you just mo- move your focus point down to the ground to the closest part to the camera, take a picture there. Maybe you take three more pictures, one focused five feet further than that, one of them, you know, 30 feet out, and then one of them um, on infinity out in the distance. And that's the good news about shooting with a wide angle lens is that infinity focus is often not that far away. On some wide angle lenses, you'll find that the infinity focus is, you know, 35, 40 feet away, and you're totally at infinity focus. So it doesn't matter if you focus at 40 feet away or on the stars, it's the same thing. Um, That's the advantage of shooting with a wide-angle lens to to add some depth of field to that. So almost every photo I take at night is shot at f2.8. And then if I have to, if something's close to the the front, I'm just going to do that focus stack. Focus, maybe take just four photos. Some people go crazy and they're taking like a 15-shot focus stack. And I always think, man, if I had to spend... 30 minutes, like if you took a 15 shot focus stack, um, You know, maybe non-macro. On a macro photo, you could probably tell more. Uh, But for a landscape photo, if you took a 15-shot focus stack and I were to just mess up the files, reorganize them and stuff, and you had to focus stack this by hand, you'd be hard-pressed to figure out the correct order of those photos. Like, it's just a slight difference because wide-angle lenses uh, have a pretty close infinity focus point. So f2.8 really is, I'm not going to say necessary, but it makes a huge difference for night photos. Now that's frustrating for some of you who your wide angle lens is an f4. And so I just, I'm always trying to find a balance when I'm teaching photography of not making people feel frustrated with their gear and like, you know, oh, you can't take good photos because your gear, because that's obviously not true. But at the same time, I feel like sometimes we maybe go a little overboard with that. And if we just aren't honest about, yeah, you know, your gear probably is holding you back in this situation, then it just gets people frustrated and makes them feel like they're not good photographers when the real answer is, no, you're doing the best you can. That's just what your lens is capable of. And so if you have an F4 lens, yes, you can do night photography. Yes, you definitely can. But you should know that if you can't quite make photos of the Milky Way like all the other reindeer do, then um, yeah, it probably is the lens. And so if you have an f2.8 lens, it's just going to make a really big difference for night photography. Now, you can go crazy and get a dedicated night photography lens that's an f1.8 or even faster, but um, but I feel like a f2.8 is is a really good starting spot for night photography. In fact, so much so that um, for night photography, I have at times owned like a dedicated night photography lens, like an F1.8, um, and that really is very nice to have. But at the same time, I, I usually when I'm buying a new into a new camera system, usually I just look for a you know, a 16 to 35 uh, on the, if you're a full frame person, um, the, a 16 to 35 2.8. And for me, I feel like, ah, that's a great lens because I'm going to do just fine with night photography and it works for my regular landscapes. And so I, I can kind of kill two birds with one stone there. Just get an f2.8 um, as your wide angle lens. And I, I feel like you're pretty set, but of course having a faster lens is even better. All right, next is the shutter speed. So it's completely normal for a night photo to have a shutter speed of, you know, between eight seconds and 30 seconds. Uh, That's a completely normal range for night photography. Um, so if you're anywhere in there, that, that's not weird to be in there. Um, and the compromise for the shutter speed is, of course, motion blur. If you know, a tree shakes in the wind as you're photographing for eight seconds, well, that tree isn't going to be sharp. It's going to show the movement because we recorded it as it was moving back and forth. Um, but then the real question is, what shutter speed do we pick for stars? And, and this is where I mentioned in the intro that um, I don't follow the 500 rule. So the 500 rule is just a rule of thumb for how fast of a shutter speed you can pick um, when shooting the stars and still have the stars sharp. So I guess I, I want to kind of explain why I don't follow the 500 rule at all and why my advice may be different from what you might hear from others. So, perfectly fine if you want to do, do it different than me, I just want to explain why uh, I kind of do it uh, this way, is I usually say, if I'm shooting the stars, 15 seconds or faster. sometimes I'll sneak up to 20, but usually if I wanna get a perfect photo of the stars, I'm gonna try to shoot with a 15 second shutter speed. Now that's about half of what a lot of people would shoot the stars at. A lot of people would shoot stars at 30 seconds. Um, But the problem is, obviously, the Earth rotates, and so if we record the photo for a long time, the stars look elongated. And if we record it an incredibly long time, that's where we see the photos of stars just streaked out across the entire sky, making a circle. And the reason that I go with a faster shutter speed than what the 500 rule says is I I just don't really love the look of those elongated stars because it makes the sky look a little bit blurry. And to me, it just kind of takes the magic out of the sky of just that feeling of these beautiful little white pinpricks um, in the sky. I just pinpricks of light those little stars and I just love seeing them just super sharp those little perfect stars and at at 20 seconds with a wide angle lens right obviously if we're shooting a 500 millimeter lens well even a 20 second um, exposure would be too long that you'd still see the elongation but with a wide angle lens just the amount of pixels that it covers up a 15 second shutter speed for night is going to look like a very nice little perfect little pinprick of light Uh, And at 20, you can already start to see that elongation, and certainly by 25 and uh, definitely by 30 seconds, the stars are just, they just don't look super sharp. And just so for my personal preference, I like to keep it to 15 seconds. Now, that's obviously going to mean we need to to compensate, either with a faster aperture or with a higher ISO. For me, since I again usually just shoot an f two point eight for night photography, although I have owned dedicated night night photography lenses before, um, it usually means for me I'm compromising with the ISO. Um, I keep my cameras up to date. Um, I'm not always with the latest and greatest. I'm still shooting the A seven R two, and I didn't upgrade to the A seven R three, even though it looks like a great camera to me. Um, so you know, there's a compromise. You're going to have a little bit of noise in the photo. And and for me, I'd rather have a tiny bit more noise and have that pinprick of light uh, in the stars. But again, that's just my personal preference. So for me, I keep my shutter speed to 15 seconds, 20 if I have to when I'm shooting uh, stars and I want them a perfect pinprick. Now, of course, you, you could go if you go all out and go with a star tracker that will move your camera um, in perfect sync with the stars Um, man you can shoot the the photos I've seen from them are just phenomenal phenomenal Uh, it's really neat Um, and it's not that expensive a star tracker is not a super expensive item Um, I mean comparative to some photography uh, stuff at least um, so that definitely is an option if you really want to dive in. Uh, for me, I'm always a little bit too run and gun. I just want to run out and grab photos and shoot and stuff. And so uh, that's that's a little bit of my laziness showing through, but I I, I should spend some time with one and, and make that part of my uh, part of my toolkit for night photography because I man there's some just knockout photos you can make with them and and it will definitely clean up your image quality uh, because you can have longer shutter speeds and lower isos um, and the stars still look sharp so that really is very nice tool to have so in the in the course when i was live i included a lot of like in-person examples of just showing photos and having people guess um guess the the camera settings that we were using and i just feel like that's a really valuable exercise um, one that obviously doesn't work as well on an audio podcast, but I just want to encourage you boy, if you're trying to learn night photography, just before you go out, you know, just grab a notebook. I can remember doing this many years ago uh, as I was learning the settings for night photography. I'd just go to, oh, Flickr or 500px, whatever. I, I think Flickr shows this a little bit more prominently. Um, so go to flickr.com um and just search for night photos and look at some that you really like that are super professional awesome looking so you feel like okay this photographer probably used the right settings um and just don't look at the settings because it does show it in that right side pane um, of the of the screen, but just look at the photo and take your guess as to what the settings are and then look down at the seti- settings that they actually used and just keep guessing. Do this 15 or 20 times. It only takes a few minutes and if you do that, I think it will put you way ahead for night photography to be able to um, just see quickly just get an idea of what settings are reasonable um, for going out to shoot. Now, one kind of trick photo here that I always like to share um, when I'm teaching night photography because I, I think it kind of just keeps you, tr- uh, keeps you thinking uh, is a light trails photo. So, you're shooting in a city and you have uh, cars driving in front of the camera and their taillights are you know, streaked out in the photo. So, we've all seen photos like this. And so, the question that I, that I like to ask is, if the city is plenty bright but the lights of the taillights are not bright enough, what camera setting do you need to change? And it kind of makes people think because you say, well, how could you affect just part of the the photo with your camera settings? I mean, if if we move the aperture, well, that's not going to change anything. The whole photo gets brighter or darker. It's not going to change just the light trails or just the building. If we change the shutter speed... That's going to change the global overall photo as well. That's not going to change just part of the photos of the of the exposure, because if I use a longer shutter speed, well, the car is driving at the speed that the car is driving in. And so the car is going to drive through our frame and then the car is gone. So unless we have a constant stream of cars, which would probably take a very long uh, shutter speed to, to have it not matter the space between cars, um, the only sh- camera setting that could do that, that could make just the light trails brighter, um, is going to be that ISO. Because it, the amount of light that's defined here in the... In the uh the tail lights that light is the same amount and we need to capture that a little bit brighter um to make sure we um uh we can make that brighter for the time that it's in the frame. Really, the, the aperture could have done that as well, but then obviously we're going to mess with our depth of field and we don't want to do that. Um, so the ISO would be the one that we want to do to make this the light trails brighter. Now, it will, of course, make the, the buildings in the background also brighter, but this is the one that we'd need to go to. To um, to increase the brightness of the of the light trails as well, um, and so we could increase our ISO to make the light trails brighter, and reduce our shutter speed as long as we at least capture the uh, the uh, time that the car is passing through, and then the shutter speed makes the the buildings in the back darker, but the ISO made the tail lights and everything else brighter uh, for that time, and so you accomplish it. I don't know if I explained that the the very best, um, but I, I'm sure some of you are nodding your heads. You're like, okay, I, I at least get what you're saying. Um, so it, it's not that it's not that one camera setting can just magically only um, affect one part of it, but the, they all do different things. And that when, when your light is coming through as a defined amount of time, you can actually kind of tweak it, uh, to, to affect, to affect one part of the photo more than others. So it's kind of neat, but definitely more of of an advanced thing. If your head is spinning, don't worry, it's fine. I'm sure it'll make sense if you uh, were to sit down and kind of think through it a little bit more. All right. Um, Next, setting focus. Setting focus is probably the hardest part of night photography until you get a process for this. A hundred times out of a hundred, when I go out with uh, groups of you guys to shoot, um, there are some people who have no problem and they know exactly how this process works to set your focus at night. And for many others, uh, if you're not As experienced in night photography, this is really frustrating. So I'm just going to give you a process that I think will probably give you the best results, at least that I know how. So when the problem is, at night, there isn't enough light for many cameras to grab focus. Now, some of you are saying, what? I never have this problem. And that's probably because you shoot a mirrorless camera. I'm not really sure what the technical reason is. Um, but I do know f- absolutely for certain, after seeing it lots of times, when you go out with a group of night photographers and everybody just lines up. Um, if you shoot a Fuji, you shoot a Sony. Um, you're just going to put that focus point, you know, at somewhere in the in the distance, you know, on the, on the landscape, and beep beep, you're focused and you can shoot. Um, and most of the DSLR people, but also some people from other brands, just, you know, er, 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 it's it's going in and out, and you can't quite get the focus right. Um, I don't know what the technical reason is, because uh, obviously on a DSLR, you can use contrast detect focus as well. My best guess is that because um, mirrorless cameras for so long just had contrast detect focus which is obviously no longer the case they also have phase detection that they can do um, from phase detect on the sensor um, but because it was so long of just contrast detect that they've just worked on the technology to make contrast detect focus work better um, in these mirrorless cameras i don't see any engineering reason why that would be Anyway, um, that is an advantage of shooting, you know, Fuji or Sony are the ones that I can say for, for certain there could be others. I don't know how micro micro four thirds does, um, in this situation, but it makes it really nice if you can just autofocus at night. And sometimes that's true. You know, if you're shooting in a, in a city scene, uh, yeah, you'll probably be able to just autofocus. If the moon is very bright, um, up at night, then yeah, you could probably just autofocus at night. You'll probably be just fine. Um, But, often you can't. Uh, Even on a mirrorless camera, sometimes you just can't. And so, what's next? Well, uh, if you can't autofocus on a distant light, and that would be my ideal situation. Um, So, you know, if there's a distant street light in your your landscape that you could just focus on that for infinity, or if the moon's in the frame, you can always autofocus on the moon because it's plenty bright. Um, You could just set your focus there and then lock it by switching on your lens, that little switch from autofocus to manual that locks the focus. Um if if you can focus on some distant bright light then perfect you got your focus and you're ready to go. I wouldn't recommend that you just set your focus and leave it for the rest of the night. Too many times I've bumped my focus after I locked it. So about every 5 minutes or so I like to refocus even if, if even if I'm just refocusing to infinity because too many times I've just bumped the lens. Um So that's ideal is autofocus. If you can't autofocus, to me, the next best option is, so you shoot in live view. So you're shooting with the rear LCD lit up to see and not looking through your viewfinder. And then you zoom in to 100%. Zoom in as far as you can on that LCD. Just press your magnifying glass button. And then you, you know, I I like to focus on a star in the background because I know that's at infinity and it's at this tiny little pinprick and so it's easy to see if it's in focus. And then you turn your lens to manual, to manual focus, and then you just physically move your uh, focus ring around until that star is as small as it can be. When that lens, when that star is as small as it can be, then we know we've achieved maximum contrast. And maximum contrast is perfect focus. That's how we decide something is in focus: is when it, it when it exhibits maximum contrast. And so, uh, when that star is as small as it can be, um, that perfect little pinprick, you know, you're in sharp focus, and you're set. With some cameras, you may be able to um, use uh, use your contrast detect focus zoomed in um, and do that. But you often that's not going to be the case. Often, you're going to be manually twisting that lens right there just remember the the drawback to manually focusing is you you're eyeballing it and sometimes it looks pretty good here and then you get back and you're like "Eh, it's close but not quite and so it does take a little bit of practice to learn how to manually focus uh coincidentally i saw lens rentals um they have an awesome technical blog where they show a lot of kind of detailed uh very nerdy uh topics and and reviews of lenses and things and uh Roger Sakala writes writes the blog. Uh, he he was the founder of of lens rentals, and it, man, I just love his writing. He's a he's a great great asset to the photo community. Um, anyway, um, he did a test. Uh, I think this is a couple years now, but he did a test where he had some you know skilled photographers, including himself, um, just set up you know focusing on a lens target, and just they did their very best. Uh, manually focusing to get the perfect focus. And they really took their time doing the very best they could. And they took a bunch of sample shots. And then they took those same cameras and they just auto focused on the lens target. And the question is who wins? Because, still among many, many, many uh, professional photographers, the feeling is still yeah, if I really want good focus, I'm going to manually focus um, instead of letting the camera do this. And what he learned in his test was, actually, that wasn't the true. Actually, that wasn't true. The autofocus won almost every single time. Uh, the autofocus was just more accurate than what you could do manually. Um, even zooming in, even doing your very best, uh, the camera was just more accurate. And so that's why I say, if you can autofocus at night, you probably should. Um, but that's our next best option. Manually focus, zoomed into 100% on a light source. And so, best case, autofocus. Second is zoom in and and manually focus. And if you're absolutely desperate, you just cannot get things working. Um, Maybe you can't find a great spot to zoom into 100%. There's no star in the sky or anything like that. And you just can't quite, you're not positive you got it. The next best scenario is to set up a flashlight at infinity. And so you'd have to walk into your scene. Um, I, you know, you'd have to know where your infinity focus is on your lens just to make sure I might go out to 65 feet or something like that, because for just about any wide angle lens at 65 feet, you're, focused at infinity for sure. Um, And so set it way out there in the distance. Um, And usually if you just shine the flashlight back to the camera, sometimes the camera still can't find focus. It's better to just point it, you know, sideways or something at the ground and then go back to your camera and focus at the ground where it's, you know, nicely lit up by the flashlight and uh, grab your autofocus and then lock it. So those are kind of the three, my, at least my three favorite ways of, of autofocusing. First case, best case scenario, autofocus, um, including trying the moon or a distant city light. Next best scenario, zoom into 100% and manually focus. And if you're desperate, then go to the flashlight technique. Um I also just a side note. Um I at one point I thought, oh, you know what the perfect focus would be is a laser. Why don't I just bring a laser light with me? And I can point that out um, on the distance and then easy autofocus on that. And I just learned that with most cameras it's just not big enough of a spot to find the to find the autofocus. Uh although you could manually focus on it, that'd be great. All right, light painting. Um you know, light painting is, is really a, one of my very favorite techniques. Um, and I think unlike many photographers, when I look through my portfolio of the best images I've ever captured, um, actually a, a significant amount of them were light painted. Um, I, I really love light painting and, um, I, I have a, I think a, process that differs from what a lot of people do and so again this may differ from your personal experience and that's perfectly fine i'm just sharing the way that i that i do it and what i've seen the best success from Um, i'm not saying this is the only way to do it but for me the very best tip that i've well two tips that just completely change light painting and, and have helped me to be successful are one start your camera and then walk away from the camera to start uh, moving your flashlight. You're, you're, you're using a flashlight to light up the scene as you're recording the picture. Um, step away from the camera is my favorite tip because when you're standing right behind the camera, well, essentially, you're using on-camera flash. Next time you're out shooting a landscape, put a flash right on the camera and just blast the foreground with it and you'll see how terrible that looks um, in a landscape, and that's the way that most people are light painting, and that's why I think they're not having success is because they're using on-camera flash essentially, because they're standing right behind the camera, so it's the same angle that an on-camera flash would do, and a on-camera flash on a landscape is not good. That's going to look pretty bad. Um, it just looks like car headlights are just d- blasting the landscape, um, and so. Start the frame and then walk away from the camera, uh, maybe at least 20 feet to get a totally different angle of the light coming across. And then you see texture and depth and highlight and shadow. So that's the number one thing. And the number two thing is, especially when you're starting, I would use a cell phone light, you know, like the the flashlight app on your phone. To me, that's a, actually a really nice light painting light. Um, And somebody showed me an iOS 11 at the conference. I did not realize this. If you, uh, I think you have to long press or hard press on the, like you swipe up from the bottom. So you have your little notification tray, and then you click on an iPhone on the flashlight. If you kind of long press on it, it gives you an option for low, medium, high uh, for your flashlight camera, which is nice. I didn't know that existed. That was pretty cool tip. Um, but anyway, I think almost always you'd use high um, for light painting because a cell phone flashlight is not super bright. And that's kind of the point for, uh, for this is just kiss the landscape with a light. Um, it's actually really hard to do a good light painting if you're actually like blasting it with light. You can, absolutely. But it takes a really skilled photographer who really knows highlight and shadow um, and for me, I've just found that just by adding a little kiss of light, it's so much more forgiving uh, because, you know, we're using really souped up camera settings. I mean, we're often shooting at like 3200, 4000 ISO um, with long shutter speeds and f2.8. I mean, the camera is gathering so much light that just a little kiss of light from, uh, from a cell phone is often just what the doctor ordered um, for a landscape. So, um, I, I can understand the value of bringing out a spotlight, uh, or, a you know, a big powerful flashlight, um, and, and, you know, in certain situations using that to paint a landscape, but it's so unforgiving. It's so unforgiving that often when I look at photos done that way, like almost always, even at least in my opinion, when I look at it, I just think, yeah, it just looks like you just, hammered that landscape with the flat with a with the light and it just just looks weird um and if you do it with just a little light and just Step away from the camera and get to a good angle where you can, you know, maybe down to the ground so you can show uh, kind of that highlight and shadow of of the ground, that texture, um, with just a little kiss of light. And then it feels so much more natural and it's not like an in-your-face, I'm light painting kind of photo. It just feels like it just works in the photo. And so, at, at least for my preference, that's the way that I like to light paint. Yes, you'll see me with the flashlight sometimes. Sometimes a cell phone is just not enough. But I would say nine times out of ten even, if I'm light painting, it's probably just with my cell phone flashlight. Um, So anyway, that's that's the way that I approach it. Sometimes you're going to have to use a cell phone flashlight just on the little foreground here, but obviously it's not going to reach real far. And then if there's something a little bit, you know, 50 to 100 feet away, then yeah, maybe we bring out a a real flashlight, not a spotlight, but a real flashlight just to paint something on a little bit of the more distant area. Um, I never, at least for me personally, I never use a spotlight, like a big old spotlight in my light paintings. Um, And the reason is this okay, so we say yes, a cell phone for the close areas, and then maybe a flashlight for something 50 to 100 feet away. But then what about something from 100 feet to 200 feet away? And that's where uh, people often will bring, you know, by a spotlight, literally. Um, And the problem that I've experienced with that is there's just too much light pollution when you're putting that much light into a scene. So the foreground, the midground, just gets kind of a hazy look to it because you can obviously see the beam of those uh, of that powerful of a flashlight, and that beam just kind of adds a haze and a muckiness to the photo that, um, for me, doesn't work. Um, and so um, I, I can see the use in it. Maybe if there's a situation where you could stand way far away from the camera to get that beam out of the frame and have it just touch that further uh, area in the photo. But, but but you'd have to stand very far away from the camera with that and so I, I that's the reason that I don't do that um, but but you know different situations and, and I guess it could be used right I'm just again I'm just explaining my process and that's what I would do All right um, that's kind of my primer on on night photography I, I, I hope this is, has been helpful um, for some of you as a review for others I hope it opens a, a new avenue for you of something you can do. I just wanted to thank you uh, all of you guys for the support you've given me over the years uh, with Improved Photography especially to those of you who came to the to the conference and 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 put a little bit of faith in us uh, that we would put together a, a great event for you and have help you to have a great experience. Um, we really did do the very best we can to make it awesome. And and I do know from the many, many people that we uh, that I talked to and also the, uh, from the surveys that uh, it, it seemed to be a, a very positive experience. And so that really made me happy. I no longer own the the conference. Uh, BJ and Rachel Hansen take everything because I just knew it, it was going to take a full-time job of somebody to really take over this and they really took it and ran with it. They, they did an awesome job. And I'm looking forward to the Create Photography Retreat in Las Vegas um, in March of next year. Um, if you sign up right now at createphotographyretreat.com or just go to Improve Photography and at the top, click that link for the conference. Um, uh, there is a great deal on your, on your lodging that they only have 50 seats for. Uh, I haven't checked to see how many uh, seats have sold. Uh, but uh, by signing up, you are getting a nice advantage, uh, uh for that lodging deal. So check it out at create and everybody, I really just appreciate your, uh, your support of everything we do and listening to the podcast each week. Have a good day. Bye.